All right, church, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John. The, uh, the idea is going to be around the topic of Jesus being anointed. It seems weird that you would anoint the Savior. It would seem maybe the other way around, right? The Savior anoints you to something. And what we're going to get to see today is a beautiful beautiful act of someone who is so in love, who is so devoted, who is so thankful for Jesus in their life, that instead of being, instead of having that expectation of being anointed for themselves, they are going to anoint Jesus. I just, I find that encouraging because you know you think for yourself you're like what would I do if I was in this particular situation how would I approach this how would I handle this would I anoint Jesus or would I just sit there in awe and it and it brings to mind that song you know I can only imagine if you were in the presence of Jesus Christ whether he was alive 2,000 years ago and still walking on this earth or he is or even where you are now or even when you get to where you're going that song brings forth so much, doesn't it? When you think about that, you know, I can only imagine, what am I going to do when I'm face-to-face with my Savior, with my Lord? What am I going to do? Am I just going to simply bow down before Him and just worship and give thanks and just bow at His feet? Am I going to stand there in complete and utter awe with my jaw dropped open and I can't speak a single word, which for me, many of you would go, well, that's never going to happen. But... But Or would you find yourself just you know, leaping for joy and be like, I'm in the presence of my Savior. Like, I'm just so excited and I can't contain myself. Like, like, how would you be in that moment face-to-face with your Savior? And today we're going to read about this woman named Mary. And she is face-to-face with her Savior. And, and it's in a unique situation because he hasn't even died yet for her sins. He's still on the earth at this particular time in, in, in the story in the scriptures, and he is there, and she recognizes him for exactly who he is. And I look at that moment, and I see it sort of play out in my mind, and actually, uh, to be honest, like I've even been re-watching The Chosen. I don't know if anybody here has ever watched The Chosen, but oh, I love it. Um, absolutely a good watch if you uh, have nothing else to do. There's two seasons of it. That's my official plug. They don't pay me anything. Um, But I'm watching it, and I can see these stories that that I've read so many times, these stories that I've preached through. And to see the representation of how these people look at Jesus, look upon his face, to see the way that they light up and they glow, and I'm thinking, that's what I want to do. I want to do that now. Even though I can't see him face to face in this moment. But the truth is, is he's all around us, isn't he? He's all around us everywhere that we are. We don't do anything or go anywhere without Jesus by our side. So every second of every single day, I can see Jesus in everything around me. Amen? It's true. Jesus is everywhere. And all you have to do is pause for a brief moment, for a brief second, and give recognition to who created everything. If you see a beautiful sunset, your Lord created that. 
If you see a beautiful moon, your Lord created that. If you see a beautiful scenery, you look into the eyes of a newborn child. You look at your spouse. You find yourself in situations of complete love. That's Jesus. Everywhere you look, he's there. He's never not present. And Mary, who we're going to read about today, recognizes these things. And what she does is beautiful. And then we're going to get to see this this representation of what, I'm going to quote, the world around her thinks. And how the world around her wants to tear her down. And how the world around her wants to put out her fire. And then how Jesus responds. And that's what we're going to look at. So look at chapter 12 of John with me now. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And when the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Does that not sound like an amazing story in exactly the way that you would expect it to play out here 2,000 years later? Because it's exactly how that would play out today. Exactly. We start off on this good note. Not really so great for Jesus because we are fast approaching the time where he's going to be crucified. This is literally coming up hard and fast on Jesus being nailed to a cross. But it says six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore comes to Bethany where Lazarus is, whom he had raised up from the dead. The Jews coming together and celebrating of the Lord passing over. Um, if you're not sure what Passover is, Passover is when um, Moses and, and the Egyptian, I mean Moses and the Jews were in Egypt. They were um, under slavery, and the Lord sent forth this sent forth His Spirit, and He said, "Those of you who believe in Me, those of you who trust in Me, sacrifice a lamb. You paint His blood, paint the lamb's blood above your doorway, and death will pass over your door, and your children will be saved." And all the firstborn children in Egypt who weren't protected by the Lamb's blood died. So they celebrate Passover where the Lord passed over the Jews who trusted in him 
and their children, their families, were saved. And so they come together. They celebrate this every year. It was the final plague that was brought forth to help free the Jews. And they come forth and they celebrate that together. So then, they're there. It says they're preparing for the Passover. They're, they're gathered together. But this amazing thing has just happened. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. People are reeling from that. They can't believe what's just happened. So, like all good Christian folks, they threw a dinner. It's what we do. We come together and we eat. It's the best thing. It's the best way to celebrate, isn't it? I'm sure they had chicken. It's just the right way to do. So they gave a dinner, it says, for him there. And then get this, it says, Martha served. Remember, it was Mary and Martha who are the, are the sisters of Lazarus who died. And each of them went and spoke to Jesus. And, and each of them were like, if you had just been here, he wouldn't have died. And so now that he is alive, he's been raised from the dead, here's Martha. She's serving. She's grateful. She's thankful. And so she's running around. You can almost imagine that she's just being very busy, busy like a bee. She's going around, and it says what? Lazarus, well, he's just reclined back at table, isn't he? He's living the life, isn't he? He's having a good time. He's one of those, it says, reclining at table. Now, back then, uh, just, just a little fun fact, they didn't sit down at a table like you and I. The table was only about yay high off the ground. And so what they would do is they would lay on an elbow and then they would reach onto the table. Their head would be at the table and they would reach onto the table and they would pick and eat and they would share. They would all gather and their feet are out and away from the table. They would literally lay down and eat. That's the way that they did it. They didn't come together or sit down in chairs and, and, and commune that way, the way that we do and you know, pass the potatoes and all that jazz. They lay down and they, they picked and ate and just communed together so they're there during this evening meal all the men would be the ones reclining at table all the women would be hustling and bustling it's just the way that it was don't shoot the messenger but these women would come together and they would serve now you get to verse three however and we get to see that that there's one woman who's broken away from the pack Instead of hustling and bustling around and, and, and serving, she decided there's another way to serve. And so it says, Mary, therefore, took this pound of expensive ointment from pure nard. Ladies, I want you to go find some pure nard. I want you to use it and see what it's like. I don't know. It just sounds weird, doesn't it? But they, they have pure nard, and it was expensive. And she anointed the feet of Jesus with it. It says she even wiped his feet with her hair. And it was super fragrant because it tells us that whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, what I want to make clear is this isn't to be confused with Luke chapter 7. There is another instance that sounds like this one, but it's a different woman who isn't named. It's a different woman who also washed Jesus' feet, but she did so with her tears. And she wiped her feet, wiped his feet with her hair. So it's two instances of this type of thing happening, but it's two separate situations here. I want to make sure there's not any confusion of that. But Mary finds this alternate way of serving. She sees Jesus. She sees everything that's happening, everything that's going on, knowing that he just raised her brother from the dead after being in the grave for four days. 
she wanted to know, how can I best serve Jesus? How can I come to him and show him my love, my appreciation? So she takes this expensive ointment, and in Mark 14, if you were to read about this particular story in Mark 14, it tells you that she didn't just simply pour out some of this ointment. She actually broke the flask that it was in, which means she used all of it. It was roughly about a liter, so you can imagine a liter, that's half of a two liter. That's a lot of ointment, isn't it? So what scholars believe happened, while it only mentions here that, that she anointed Jesus' feet, she poured this on his feet, it's likely that she also poured it on his head, probably maybe even drizzled some over top of his body. And we think that also because of, the, of what it represents, what Jesus leads us to as we arrive. So she didn't just simply pour this out, she broke the flask that it was in. Again, you can read about that in Mark 14. And all of it was used. Now this was an important act of service. Does it sound like an important act of service? Not really. It just sounds like she did something nice. It was a cool gesture, right? Maybe, maybe his feet were nasty and dirty and smelly and she just couldn't take it. Or there was a much, much greater meaning behind it. And so Jesus, seeing what she does immediately recognizes the act of service to which it, it's meant for. It says that she used her hair to wipe his feet. Women back then, they didn't let their hair down. In public, they would keep their hair up. Oftentimes, they would wear a veil. Women didn't show their hair. It just wasn't done. It was against, it was against the rules. Certainly in front of a rabbi, a teacher, someone of great significance, someone that you held in such a high regard, you would never let your hair down, nor would you let it be seen. But in her case, not only did she let her hair down, but she actually took and used it to begin wiping the feet of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you see it, but it's, it's the most humbling act that she could do. The servants back then didn't even clean the feet of, of the important people with their hair. The servants just simply did what they had to do. They got in, they got out, they washed the feet, they dried them off, because back then everybody wore sandals, so your feet got nasty. Everywhere you went, there wasn't paved roads, it was dirt, it was mud. So when you came into someone's house, it was, it was significantly important for, for health and for cleanliness and all of those sorts of things to clean the feet of the people coming in. She not only cleaned his feet, but she anointed his feet with this really expensive perfume. And then she used her hair that would have been, like, like women back then, they took care of that hair. It was important. She used her hair to clean his feet. You can't get a greater, a greater humbleness than what Mary has just done. Not only is she bowing at his feet, not only is she cleaning him, not only is she putting that expensive, but she is cleaning his feet with her hair. It's a complete surrendering of herself, of herself and her service to Jesus. She has recognized him as her Lord and Savior, and she is completely trusting him in every way possible. That's what she's doing. Her sister Martha is running around, getting things ready, and Mary 
is doing what she needs to do too. And so now we get for a second time, we get to get introduced, really, we, we are introduced to Judas Iscariot. This is the second time his name comes up in the book of John. And it names him the first time he's referred to as a devil. That's back in chapter 6 of John. You could go back there and you can read when it, it, he's actually referred to as a devil. Jesus already knows who he is. Jesus already knows what he's going to be up to. Again, points to him being fully human, but also being fully God. And so Judas Iscariot comes onto the scene, right? It says clearly there in verse 4, he's one of the disciples, but then it gives you the little parentheses. It says, he who was about to betray Jesus. Because remember, the time is near that Jesus is going to hang on a cross. And then he speaks up, and he's, he's infuriated. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Why wasn't this used in a better way? Why wasn't this, this given and, and to help so many, so many desperate people who were out there? Doesn't that sound noble? Doesn't that sound like, man, that's a great idea. Maybe she should have done that. If he was being truthful, if he was being, if he was being honest about his true feelings, it sounds like a great idea. Maybe we should have sold Denard. Maybe we should have gotten 300 denarii, which, by the way, is a year's salary back then. A full year's salary is what she broke and poured on Jesus. Who here is ready to give up one entire year's salary in 30 seconds for Jesus? I don't see too many hands going up. I make a lot of money at Norton. I'm not going to lie. I'm very blessed. I'm not rich, but I'm very blessed. He takes care of me. That scares me to death, thinking I'm going to give up a full year's wages in 30 seconds. That's what she did. Do you recognize the service, the devotion, the respect, the giving? You want to talk about sacrificial giving? That's sacrificial giving, isn't it? That is sacrificial giving at its best because not only did she take a year's worth of wages, not only did she break it, you can't even save any of that anymore. It's going to go bad now. But not only did she do it, but then she got on her hands and feet and she took her hair and then she wiped his feet. His dirty, nasty feet is worth more than I'll ever be worth. Because that's who Jesus is. He's good in every way. Remember, his spit can heal the blind. His dirty, nasty feet, I can only imagine what they can do. I'm just being real. I'm not, you know, I mean, I know it seems funny, but look at what she's done. And now here comes Judas, who's trying to arrive on the white horse, sounding like a savior, right? Why didn't we take this? Why did we not use this to help the poor? But then it gives us a little extra information, doesn't it? It says, he who was about to betray Jesus. That goes ahead and sets the stage for you. Now you know who he is. He's a snake. Already been referred to as a devil. He says, why wasn't this used for the poor? He's, he, he said this, it tells us there in verse 6. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief who regularly helped himself to the money bag to which he carried because he was the treasurer of the group. That's what he did. Judas is outwardly upset. He is beside himself. He 
He just... Judas just can't make this claim in front of Jesus. Because Jesus can see clear through him. He was a thief. He didn't care about the poor. He was in charge of the money bag. If, when we get into to John 13... That's when we're going to get to see that Jesus uh, is betrayed by Judas. Remember, it says he's about to be betrayed. And, and the next chapter that we're going to go into, Judas goes and, betray, and, and betrays Jesus for how much? 30 pieces of silver. You know what 30 pieces of silver isn't worth? A year's wage. Not even close. Not even, not even kind of close. It's not even sort of close. Judas went and turned in Jesus and betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And yet he wants to complain about Mary pouring her ointment, that's hers, onto Jesus. John Piper said this. He said, if Judas wasn't exaggerating, this 11-ounce flask of nard was worth about $25,000. It says uh, 312-hour days, at minimum wage, now I don't know how long ago he preached this, but, but 12 hour days at minimum wage, a denarius was simply a full day's wage, so it was about $25,000 in the grand scheme of things. Judas's scheme of values was so deeply different from Mary and Martha and Lazarus that in a few days he would do the opposite of giving $25,000 for Jesus. He would sell him for $1,000. That's the equivalent. 30 pieces of silver, $1,000. 300 denarii, $25,000. So, you can read more about that if you look at like Matthew chapter 27. You can look at that where it talks about what happens to Judas there in Acts chapter 1. But it shows the heart of Judas. Instead of Judas, who is walking with Jesus, seeing what Jesus is doing, witnessing all of the great and amazing things, he sells out Jesus for a mere, like, $1,000. And ultimately regrets it later. We'll read about that again more as we go along. We'll talk about it more as we go along. But Jesus then offers a correction. Judas is so angry, he's so upset, seemingly. Jesus simply says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Who's in charge of this group? It's Jesus. And he looks at him and he says, hey, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you don't always have me. That was a little bit of a dig at Judas. You want so badly to give this money to the poor? Don't worry. You're always going to have them. You can always care for the poor. Don't you worry your little self. But here, in a very short time, in about a week's worth of time, in just a matter of days, I'm going to hang on a cross, and I'm going to be gone from you. You won't see me anymore. You're not always going to have me. So celebrate me. Honor me. But don't worry about the poor. You can do that tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. So if you're so concerned, get your heart right, and deal with them, and help them. But don't use them as an excuse to not give Jesus glory which is oftentimes what we find ourselves doing. Jesus is foreshadowing his death, that he also isn't going to have time for a proper burial. Jesus 
is going to die on that cross. They are going to take him down from that cross. They are going to put him inside of a tomb and he's not been properly prepared. Except that he has. Because it's exactly what Mary has just done. It's the reason he says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. What does he mean by that? We just read and we just heard that she broke the flask. You can't save any of that. What is she keeping? Right? What is it that she's keeping? She's keeping the memory of what she's just done for Jesus. And, and here's what happens. Here's what happens. We find ourselves amongst Christians who are just simply on fire, don't we? We find ourselves amongst Christians who are super excited and they're chomping at the bit to go. And they just want to serve. We want to serve. We want to, and then you got somebody who comes along and they go, ah, you know what? That's going to wear off. That's what I was told. I've told you all this a bunch of times and I'll never stop telling it because it hurt so bad. They looked at me and they said, you're on fire for God, but don't worry, it'll pass. How dare you, is what I say. Don't you dare tell me that my love, that my excitement, that my passion for Jesus Christ who died for me is ever going to pass. Because if it does, I wasn't saved to begin with. I should be excited about Jesus Christ, my Savior. I should be excited that He died for me. He gave up His life. He surrendered Himself. He shed His blood for me, for Greg Knapper. He shed it for each one of you as well. He knows you by name. He knows every hair on your head. He's done this for you to be forgiven so that you can be in, in heaven with Him for eternity. So that you can walk with Him. And somebody's going to come along and say, don't worry, that's going to pass. I don't, I don't ever want to get there. Ever. I don't want anyone in this room to ever get there. Ever. It's too important what Mary has done. And Jesus is saying, leave her alone. Because what she's done for me is amazing. And she's going to carry that with her all her days. And you know what? We're still talking about it 2,000 years later. Because it was important. Because what she did for him was greater than what Judas has ever done for him, which was simply stealing from Jesus. Are you stealing are you stealing someone's excitement? Or are you encouraging others to go forth and believe and trust in Jesus? Are you encouraging them to, to, to build on the fire that has been formed? Are you encouraging them to keep the passion alive? Or are we simply saying, don't worry about it? Because that's what Judas is saying. And Jesus is offering a strong correction. He's telling them, stop, leave her alone. She will carry this with her. She will keep it for the day of my burial, knowing that when I didn't have time to be properly buried, when I, wasn't, when I was put in that tomb wrongly, she fixed it for me. She was the one who anointed my body and got me ready for burial. It was her and her alone. She has that as a victory. She sacrificed what she had, and it was a lot. We talked about the dollar figure. We talked about what it meant. Can you imagine what she gave up when she broke that flask? She did it willingly. She did it sacrificially. What are we doing sacrificially? What are we doing? We have opportunities to be like Mary. We have opportunities to be like her, to do like she did, 
And I'm not talking about doing exactly what she did, but we have opportunities to give and to serve and to lift up Jesus on high and say, he is my Lord and my Savior and I trust in him in every single way. And yes, I will do whatever I have to do and I'll do it till it hurts. Because he took a nail through his, through his hands. He took a nail through his feet because he took a spear to the side and thorns to the head because he gave up everything for me. She sacrificially is giving for Jesus, and she is on fire for him. And Judas just wants to put it out. Doesn't that sound like the work of Satan? Doesn't that sound like what Satan wants to do here in this place? Doesn't it sound like the work that Satan wants to do out in the community and out here in Spencer County and then out here in Kentucky, all around the world? Satan wants to do only horrible, confusing, disastrous work. Remember, what is his job? It's to kill, steal, and destroy. pretty much believed that Satan entered into Judas. And later on, Judas hung himself because he was so guilt-ridden. Judas was so worried about the money. He was more concerned about himself. He was selfish. He wasn't concerned about the greater things, about the greater one, Jesus. Mary, however, is caring for her Messiah. She's caring for her Lord, Jesus, who died, who will be buried with her preparation, just like the Scriptures pointed to, just like the prophecy led us to that is now about to be fulfilled. And then you get to the crowd who comes, and, and they're there, they want to see Jesus, they want to see Lazarus, they're in awe of what's gone on. How can you not be in awe of a man who was dead for four days in a tomb and is now walking? We don't see that today. And if we did, I'd want to go see him, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to witness an absolute miracle? And I'm here to tell you, we've seen miracles. We've seen miracles here in our own little community. We've seen people who have had things removed, things done that honestly shouldn't have walked away from. People who have been in car accidents that you said they shouldn't have lived. People have been healed where they said, hey, we found a spot on this person, and then when they go back for their next scan, the spot is gone. Only Jesus can do those things, and it leaves doctors every day baffled. They don't understand, well, how could this have been? Well, maybe, we, maybe our scanner just read it wrong. Or maybe Jesus Christ took care of it. Because he can do anything. All he has to do is speak the words. Last night when I was watching The Chosen, he looked at that man, that paralyzed man, who was lowered through the roof, and he looked at him and he said, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man did it. Could you imagine witnessing something like that? Could you imagine what that's like? And these Jews are coming together. However, Jewish leaders, still not enough, is it? They're still too concerned about their status, about their stature, about giving up their power. And so, it talks about there in verse 10. The chief priests, these people who are supposed to know better, they come together and they do what? They make plans now to put Lazarus to death. But newsflash, Lazarus done died once, didn't he? Except that it wasn't his time. And Jesus came back and he raised him from the dead four days later. Do you really think you're going to kill Lazarus and take him off of this earth before it's actually his time? Because you ain't. 
just like you heard me say, maybe it was last week or the week before, you will not leave this earth until the good Lord calls you home. So do not live your life in fear. Have faith over fear. Trust in your Lord God. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and say, I belong to Him. He is in control and no one will ever take me from the Master's hand because that's what the Scripture tells me. You will not go until Jesus Christ says, it's time for you to be here. It's time for you to come home. And until then, you need to glorify me, you need to honor me, and you need to serve me. Do the things that I have laid upon your heart. Do the things that I have spoken to you. Be obedient in your service. Because if you do all of those things, greatness and good are done all throughout the world. When you glorify Jesus, it helps other people. When you honor Jesus, it helps other people. When you are obedient to Jesus, it helps other people. What did Jesus do when he died on that cross for everybody's sin? He helped other people. Everything about Jesus does nothing but show love and honor and and grace for others. But we have to do it his way. I can't do it mine. I've got so many great and grand ideas that look great and just, oh, they're amazing when I put them on paper. But when I put them into action, they are terrible have you ever done that where you're like this sounded so great but it blew up in my face guilty i'm terrible at it but when i trust jesus every time i have ever walked through a door that he opened it was good it was right and it was the thing that needed to happen and i always will the promise i made and the day that i break that promise is the day you'll see me walk away i will step down And I'll just repent from then on. It's so important to follow Jesus, to be obedient to Jesus. And these Jewish priests, these chief priests who were simply saying, oh, well, because Lazarus was raised from the dead, we're going to put him to death. You know what that makes them? It makes them murderers. Is that following the law that they so, so believe in? Is that following the law of Moses where it says, thou shalt not kill? That they so... I'm going to say blasphemously put before others because they don't believe it. So don't follow those who are going to lead you wrongly. Don't follow those who aren't going to teach and preach and believe and then follow the word of God because these chief priests certainly aren't. They are doing premeditated murder. That's what they're planning. Does that sound like someone you should be following? No. You should never follow someone like that. Nor should you ever follow someone who says Jesus Christ is not the only way. Like Joel Osteen. I'm going to say his name. I don't care. Given an opportunity, you put me on Larry King. I don't think he's alive anymore. But you put me on one of them shows and you say, Greg Knapper, how do you get to heaven? I'm going to say Jesus Christ is the only way. Like it or not. Point blank. Black and white. Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, period. It's not what he said. He said, well, I don't like to tell people that that's what they have to believe. Well, then you're wrong. It's my job. I've received a calling. The Lord said, you better tell them some truth. Because when you get home one day, you're going to talk to me and you're going to answer for it. So that's all you get here, people. Sorry about your luck. There's the door if you don't like it. It is what it is. It just is what it is. And that's all you've ever gotten when you've been here, at least for the last 15, 20 years. Maybe longer. It's God's word. This is truth. And you won't see us acting like a chief priest. Because I am not higher or mightier than thou. I am lowly. 
I am a sinner, and I'm in need of Jesus Christ, just like everybody else in this room. There's no difference between you and I, other than the fact that I'm about two and a half feet taller than you right now. Trust in Jesus Christ. Follow in the steps of Mary. Follow in the steps of her who anointed the head of Jesus Christ and gave him all that she had. Be like the little old lady who when she went to give, she gave two pennies. She dropped that in there and and they said, well, what's that going to matter? What's that going to help? And Jesus said, hey, she gave all that she had. That was all she had. That was her life savings was two pennies and she gave it for Jesus. Are you giving yourself for Jesus? Are you anointing Jesus with your actions? Are you anointing Jesus with your faith? Are you anointing Jesus in the way that you trust him daily? And if you're not, it's not me that's convicting you and it's not me that's condemning you. It's the Holy Spirit. I'm just telling you the truth. Remember, don't shoot the messenger. It'll tell you like it is. But we are called to live a life and to live it a certain way. And we as Christians, if we're not going to do that, if we're not going to lead by the example, how do we expect anybody behind us to see it and follow it and to believe that it's true? That's what we have to do. So trust in Jesus. How can you anoint Jesus in your life today? How can you anoint Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. I know that we've talked about a lot of things. And I give you thanks that your word was spoken today. That your truth is what we go by. That is our goal is to share your truth. And so God, today, I pray that as we begin to close and we sing a song called Gratitude, that we would look inside of ourselves that you would help to open up our hearts, God. Jesus, that you would peel away those hardened layers that we all have, those sinful layers, those layers of distrust, those layers of embarrassment, those layers of, of just everything, the walls that we have built up around us, God, and that you would tear them down so that we can show you true gratitude for what you have done for us, just the way that Mary did back then. That she gave you so much she sacrificially gave to anoint you to prepare you for burial but god we can do that too in our lives today we can anoint you with our lives and the way that we live them that we can give of ourselves that we can give sacrificially and i'm not just talking about money god you know that i'm talking about the way that we give the way that we serve the way that we lift up one another the way that we care for our brothers and sisters in christ that just as we're going to be planning on on taking up a love offering next Sunday, that God, that you would be the one guiding our hearts to do what needs to be done. You are the most important. You alone, Jesus, are the most important in our lives today. And we thank you for what you've done. So guide us in our lives, guide us in every aspect, and help us to submit obediently to your way and to your will. We thank you today for this example that we've been given. We thank you, Jesus, for you who shed yourself, your body, your blood for us. To forgive us, to save us, and to offer us grace so that we can repent 
turn away from the ugliness in the world around us so that we can, we can cast Satan away from our lives and we can trust you. So we pray all of this today in your most holy, strong name. Amen.